Within just a few years, we will spend more on interest payments than we will on national defense. That is a bright flashing warning sign that we are on an unsustainable path. And clearly it is unsustainable because the fastest growing part of our budget is interest payments. And when you have a debt that's growing faster than your economy, obviously something will have to give. To hear more about potential impacts of our increasing federal debt level, subscribe to PGIM's The Outthinking Investor in your favorite podcast app. Pushkin. The U.S. economy in the third quarter grew 4.9%. That's inflation adjusted, and that is simply bonkers. After a year or more of everyone fretting about recession, we've gotten it not just wrong, but it's actually the total opposite. The economy is booming. Today on the show, we talk about the unstoppable engine behind it all, the U.S. consumer. This is Unhedged, the markets and finance show from the Financial Times and Pushkin. I am reporter Ethan Wu here in the New York studio, joined today by one Robert Armstrong who's calling in from his mother's basement in Boston. In some sense, Ethan, in my head, I'm always in my mother's basement. That <laughs> could be my problem. But today I'm actually there. Yes. The basement is a mentality, but, but, but today it's not. Rob, just first off, we have to just say like, Wow right? Like yeah. 5% growth. Did anyone think we were going to be a 5% growth in the third quarter of 2023? I mean, earlier this year, there are professional macroeconomic forecasters that thought we were going to be in recession in the third quarter of yes, 2023. Yes, that was consensus mm-hmm. a year ago, 100% chance of recession. And we're in a boom, an expansion. I remember you and I just a, a few months ago, looking at the Atlanta Fed's real-time GDP indicator. Yeah and thinking it must be broken, yeah, right? We were like essentially banging on the side of the TV to get the reception to come in better. But it was right. Yeah, The economy turns out to have been as strong as it appeared, and it appeared incredibly strong. Yes, yes. There's just a huge amount to talk about yes. here. To, to the credit of the econometricians at the Atlanta Fed, they got this exactly right. They said about 5% two months ago, and it was just about 5%. Now, of course, with any given quarterly GDP reading, there's going to be some anomalies, some idiosyncrasies, some stuff that will revert next quarter. But we got to talk about kind of the core of this expansion, something that's been true for some time now, which is the consumer. Real consumption in the third quarter grew 4%. And that's really been the story all along, hasn't it? That the consumer can drag along any kind of moribund part of the economy as long as they're able to spend. We can tell the story, Ethan, in the results of one company. Mm-hmm. And that company is Coca-Cola. Every quarter, for like 12 quarters now, they increase prices 5% from the year before. The consumer does not care. Yeah. Keeps drinking the bubbly sugar water like the price was exactly the same. It's like, what, can they make Coca-Cola $10 for a can of Coca-Cola <laughs> and we'll still drink it? I I don't know. Like, where does, where does this stop? It's crazy. It really is. And if you're Jay Powell, you've got to be looking at this and saying, I don't know what the hell's going on. Yeah, I think the faint thumping sound you hear is him banging his head on his desk. <laughs> where it's like, I raise interest rates 500 basis points. I turn the volume up on monetary policy to 11. And the economy's like, what was that, Jay? I, I can't can't make it out. Can you speak a little louder? They just don't care. <laughs> what What is this guy supposed to do? Inflation's above target. He's got to get it down to 2%. He's done basically everything a central banker can do, and the economy is still flaming hot. Yeah. <sighs> Let's break it down, right? So what has 
kept the consumer spending, I think is the question that we want to ask ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I think to answer that question, you got to take it back to COVID. I mean, back then, the Fed cut interest rates basically to zero. And everybody that owns a house, which is like 100 million plus people in America, said, I'm going to refinance at two or 3% mortgage rates. And, you know, estimates are that that generated kind of like hundreds of billions of dollars in incremental cash flow for households because they were just paying less on their mortgages. Those low mortgages have been locked in for a couple of years now, right? We, we have fixed rate mortgages in this country. The mortgage interest burden is at one of the lowest points on record. And that's on top of all this, the stimulus checks that people got and just the fact that, you know, no one's defaulting. We, we had incredibly low like credit card delinquencies. Basically, everybody's household balance sheet was like really excellent. I have before me, Ethan, a chart of consumer credit card debt. Mm. And we rolled into the pandemic at about $860 billion. And that in the pandemic, we're all stuck at home, not spending money, staring at our spouses mournfully, that fell by $100 billion. And only now has that number returned to the pre-pandemic trend. So it was like, in the last year or so, consumers have been able to spend freely on credit. And they're still just now getting back where they were in terms of indebtedness. And I think on top of that strong household balance sheet story, there's a story about the labor market, right? For some time, we were printing like 600,000 jobs a month as the economy reopened. And I mean, that kind of labor market strength went disproportionately to people at the bottom of the income distribution. We saw people quitting their jobs at unprecedented rates. We saw just incredible wage growth. And uh, that tight labor market, which is, it's still tight. It's gotten more normal. It's gotten kind of into the range of history more recently. But we're still in a strong labor market by basically any measure. And you get strong wage growth across the economy. People are going to keep spending those earnings. For me, it really is a wage growth story. Yeah. I mean, to a first approximation, without getting caught in the weeds on it, wages have kept up with inflation. Mm -hmm. Right. So inflation has been bad, but people are getting raises and they're spending the money. And, and I'm glad you mentioned inflation because I think maybe that's the third part of this is more recently in the last couple of quarters, as we've seen inflation get down to 4%, 3%. Wage growth is at four and a half and CPI is at what, like three? So that means people are actually generating incremental earning power every single month. That's different, right? Like for a while, it was wages are keeping pace, maybe falling a little bit behind. Now now wages are kind of well above the pace of price increases and again, keeps people spending. It says on my Financial Journalist Association membership card, that I have to say something negative as part of mm. any discussion of the economy. At the periphery, there are a few tiny little whispers of bad news. One of them is subprime auto loans. Mm. At the lower end of the credit spectrum, people are going delinquent on their auto loans at a pretty good clip, where it's something like 6% of auto loans or so are two months delinquent now. And that shows you that somebody out there in the American economy has gotten in over their head uh, and that higher rates are telling on someone in the economy. Similarly, the CEO of Citigroup, Jane Fraser, she has a huge credit card operation and she used the word cracks. She said there are cracks in the lower end of the credit spectrum mm -hmm. in terms of the quality of their credit card loans. 
we had the CEO of a big food company, ConAgra Group, that makes Duncan Hines cake mix, among other things, come out and say, we're seeing trading down mm. in our basic goods. People are buying the less expensive one or less convenience foods, more kind of value price foods. So there are whispers at the edge, but can't emphasize enough. It's whispers. Absolutely. These are relatively minor cracks in the bigger picture, but I think it's crow eating time. We like to eat crow on the show. We got this wrong, Rob. I think we we were both in the recession camp for some time. Absolutely. That was just wrong. Yeah. It's been a reckoning. I will say our crow eating, we have a lot of company. Plenty of crow the, to go around. At the, at the crow you restaurant. Crow. You have a crow. At. Yeah. So clearly people got the severity of inflation wrong when inflation were rising. Everybody got the rapidity with which inflation would fall wrong, and everybody got the recession prediction wrong. Mm -hmm. So let us do our individual mea culpas. Ethan, what mistake did you make that got us into this embarrassing situation? I forgot my economics training. I forgot that high prices cure high prices. And I, I think you can see that in markets like housing, where because mortgage rates were super low, people that owned homes pulled back, right? And mm. that supply constraint pushed prices up. But because prices were super high, a bunch of companies whose profession is building houses said, we should just like build a lot of these and sell them as quickly as possible because prices <laughs> are so high, right? And yeah. you know, this is not a cure-all, but it's just worth remembering that market economies are dynamic and that supply and demand respond to price signals. And that's what we've seen in certain chunks of the economy. I think that's explained a good chunk of the resilience in some sectors. What I got wrong is I thought too much about demand and not enough about supply, mm. which got my head in the wrong place when thinking about the inflation side of the story. So it's very easy when you're thinking about the economy to think it's how much people want and whether they can get it. And so we all saw inflation go up so quickly and it was like, people have a lot of money. They want a lot of stuff. That's going to keep happening. There's all these stimulus plans. Inflation is never going to go down. It's a crisis. But what I forgot was that more and more, we now learn this was a supply-driven inflation spike. And I wasn't thinking about those bottlenecks. The difficulty of people getting what they wanted was contributing to prices. And when those bottlenecks went away, prices got a bit better. And it's almost trivial to say economies are about supply and demand, but it's easy to get hypnotized by one side of that equation and forget about the other. Yeah. And I think in some ways we're, we're sort of making the same point, you in the general and me in the specific. Any given price and quantity, any given inflation and GDP reading reflects a difficult to assess equilibrium of supply and demand. That's what makes the economy so hard to read. But I think, you know, in past cycles, because supply disruptions have not been a major part of how the economy has chugged along. People have gotten used to thinking of fluctuations in demand, but it, this is a supply-driven world now, You know, especially with kind of an increasing number of climate issues affecting global supply chains or, or deglobalization or whatever you want to talk about. Supply matters again, and we, we got to all learn how to think about that in a systematic way. You know, It's not just us. It's, it's, it's the central banks too. It's, it's all, all the smart people in the economics community are going to be thinking about how to think about supply for years to come. All right, Rob, thus concludes the crow eating segment of the show. Back in a moment with Long Short, where I'm going to talk about a different type of bird.
liquid alternatives can offer some substantial diversifying returns, not only in a 2022 world where traditional asset classes are challenged, but also during a world where you have only a few asset classes delivering on their expected returns. And therefore, you need some genuine diversification within your portfolio. To hear more about managing risk in the face of uncertainty, subscribe to PGIM's The Outthinking Investor in your favorite podcast app. Welcome back. This is Long Short, that part of the show where we go along a thing that we love, short a thing that we hate. I promised a bird-related item, and here it is. I am short avian flu reaching the Antarctic. This is a story from The Guardian yesterday. There are cases of bird flu being detected in the region, which have never has never been there before. And scientists fear that penguins and seals have never been exposed to this type of disease before, and it's going to be truly catastrophic. That makes me really sad, man. I'm sorry to be that a downer. That is terrible. We have to stop that from happening. We, we do. We do. People respond to charismatic animals, and the penguin getting bird flu might be a way to like get people to, to, to like give a shit about <laughs> what, what's going on in the Antarctic. <laughs> yeah, when it happens to the cute animal, then you can expect political action. That's right. Rob, are you long something? I'm going to be long Morgan Stanley and its new CEO, Ted Pick. Pick. Uh, One more time. Pick. There's a long-running drama about who James Gorman, who's done a great job with the company, who is going to succeed him. It's Ted Pick. I think Morgan Stanley is really well-positioned. It's got a great brand. It has a well-balanced business between investment banking and trading and wealth management. Wealth management is where everybody wants to be. I think the run of good luck that this company has had is going to continue under Mr. Pick. All right. I like your pick for a long, Rob. (laughs) Okay. Thanks for being here. We'll have you back soon, Rob. And listeners, we'll be back in your feed with another episode of Unhedged on Tuesday. Catch you then. Unhedged is produced by Jake Harper and edited by Bryant Erstadt. Our executive producer is Jacob Goldstein. We had additional help from Topher Forges. Cheryl Brumley is the FT's global head of audio. Special thanks to Laura Clark, Alistair Mackey, Jacob Weisberg, and Jess Trulia. FT Premium subscribers can get the Unhedged newsletter for free. A 30-day free trial is available to everyone else. Just go to ft.com slash unhedged offer. I'm Ethan Wu. Thanks for listening.